Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 95. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll be taking a look at Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, which is easily Paul's most personal letter. So we're not going to see as much doctrine in here as we did either in Romans or Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, because he's dealing with some resentment on the part of the Corinthians. I'll get into that uh, shortly. But I wanted to give you just a little background, some of which is going to be review regarding Paul's dealings with the church at Corinth. So bear with me. Uh, we know that Paul visited Corinth for the first time on his second missionary journey. And you have a sheet if you go back uh, to the book of Acts on Paul's kind of timeline there. And you can read in Acts chapter 18 for details of this, of Paul's first visit to Corinth. So we know that he stayed in Corinth about a year and a half until about 52 AD. Then, while on his third missionary journey, which is about four years later, or in 56 AD, uh, in Macedonia, which is part of Greece, he was visited in some way by a delegation from Corinth with questions and a report about what was going on in Corinth during those, uh, during those years of Paul's absence there. And it is there uh, Paul writes the first letter to the Corinthians where he deals with all of these issues that the delegation brought up, problems in the church, you know, people visiting Aphrodite's temple and consorting with the prostitutes there, problems with communion, questions about eating meat uh, offered to idols, questions about what should women's conduct be during worship or what, what, what conduct is acceptable during worship at all. Uh, some people doubting the resurrection, um, some people beginning to follow different preachers that had followed Paul to Corinth during that four-year absence there. Then there was the issue of incest. You'll recall where Paul talks about the guy who was sleeping with his uh, father's wife and uh, the acceptance of that by the church. And Paul's talking about, uh, you know, the, the problem people had of thinking that their gift of speaking in tongues was more important than mass. So all of that was dealt with in 1 Corinthians. And so he wrote that in the spring, we think, of 19, or excuse me, 1956, in the spring of 56 AD. And he wrote that letter from Ephesus. Now, he said that he would come back there for a while. But he had troubles in Ephesus, so he didn't go right away. So during that time, there there was a fair amount of uh, of back to, of of bad talking about Paul. Uh, they uh, the Corinthians may not have liked that first letter that they received in the spring of fifty six. Um, because he was admonishing them for a lot of the things that uh, they were doing. Or they may not, may not have liked that he said that he'd visit, but then it was delayed. 
because remember, it had been four years since his, his visit. So in that time, there were new preachers that came in with some different ideas. Um, some remembered Paul and said, you know, he wasn't that great of a speaker. Some said, you know, Paul was kind of fickle. He, he didn't visit us when he said that he would. Some said, well, Paul really wasn't an apostle. I mean, he wasn't one of the original 12. That's true. But of course, we do re recognize that Christ appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, that the resurrected Christ appeared to Paul, and Paul was a changed man. Some said, hey, Paul didn't take any money for his preaching, and so you get what you paid for. And some of the guys that came after Paul did take money, so uh, they, they must have been worth more than Paul. So, uh, and then some may have thought that Paul was just a little bit nuts because Paul probably shared with them that he was struck blind when he was on his way to persecute the Christians in Damascus before Paul's conversion. And, you know, Paul said that Christ appeared to him and they might have thought that he was a little nuts there. So uh, Paul then visits Corinth ever so briefly, but he's confronted by somebody right away, and there's really nobody there who stood up for him, so he left. So then he wrote another letter to the Corinthians, either lost or perhaps incorporated into this one. Then Titus, who was a friend of Paul's who was left behind in Corinth to kind of try to keep things order, reported to, to Paul some way that things got better and that Paul would be accepted if he wrote another letter. So he wrote, Paul wrote this second Corinthians that we're going to study in late 56 or early 57, so maybe a year or even less later than 1 Corinthians. And again, a lot of this letter is Paul defending himself from the criticisms levied against him, both personal and otherwise. So, you know, it's a very personal letter. Uh, not a lot of doc, not a lot of new doctrine that we haven't seen before. So we're going to kind of skim the highlights of Second Corinthians. All right. So that said, now you can open your Bibles, unless you're driving, of course. And uh, we're looking at Second Corinthians Chapter one, we see it's since it is a letter, there's a typical greeting, and uh, Paul reminds people to stand firm because you know if you suffer for Christ, uh, you you will also share in the encouragement that uh, Christ will give you for for the the journey. And uh, he says in verse nine of chapter one, indeed we had accepted within ourselves the sentence of death, that we might trust not in ourselves, but God who raises the dead. So, and today we, we hopefully learn that lesson for ourselves. We trust in God. We can't trust in ourselves because we don't know what will happen and how we will deal with that. Uh, Paul, in the next part of the book, addresses, you know, some of his past relationships with the uh, with the Corinthians, and uh, I'm not going to say much about that. But here's a Trinitarian reference in verse 21 of chapter one, where Paul says, "The one who gives us security with you, 
And when he says us, he's talking about himself as well as the other ministers, uh, Titus, etc., at the, the church of Corinth. But the one who gives us security with you in Christ, so circle Christ, and who anointed us is God, so circle God, he has also put his seal upon us and given the spirit, so circle spirit, in our hearts as a first installment. So you got a couple of things going on there. You got Jesus, you got God the Father, and you got the Spirit, all that I had you circle there. So that's kind of a Trinitarian reference there. You got them all in in uh, in that passage there. And then secondly, he talks about he has put his seal upon us um, uh, and given the Spirit in our hearts as a first installment. You might want to underline first installment and then next to that write, baptism, okay? Because that is where the the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into us and has put a seal upon us. So if you go to a to a baptism ceremony, you will see that the priest will put the, the oils of baptism on the person to be um and to be baptized as a seal, if you will that the Holy Spirit enters into us as a first installment. Okay, so there must be another installment, right? Like confirmation and like growing in Christ, etc. But you get started with baptism. Okay, now here's some good news. Remember that guy in 1 Corinthians that Paul said, hey, there's a guy among you and he's sleeping with his father's wife and he's proud about it and he's bragging about it and you guys think it's pretty cool because you think everything is okay that you do with your bodies as long as your mind is on God and he says that's hogwash you got to kick that guy out of the church and you'll recall you know we said that that is a reference to what excommunication the power of the church to say hey if you're going to be that way you can't come back right and as we said, when we covered that in 1 Corinthians, the point of excommunication is not punishment, but rather it is to cause someone to recognize the seriousness of their offense so that they will come back and, and repent of their sin. Just know that excommunication is not a, a permanent thing unless you choose to not repent of that and ask to come back, right? So the good news here is we think that it is this fellow who sometime during those four years has seen the light and has repented. And we see in verse 7 of chapter 2, Paul says, you should forgive and encourage him instead, or else the person may be overwhelmed by excessive pain. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. So um, anyway, so we think that this is the fella that committed the incest and is now being welcomed back into the fold. Okay, so that's good news because we're about forgiveness, right? But you have to want to repent in your heart before there can really be forgiveness, right? Okay. So then Paul uh, talks a little about his ministry and he says, hey, I didn't, I'm, I'm going to summarize here. I didn't take any money from you guys, but I did it out of sincerity um, for serving Christ. That's the upshot of verse 17 of chapter two. 
And then he reminds them that the, the, the law, you know, just following the law, the old Jewish law, um, doesn't cure any, doesn't cure you. It just points out your, um, your sins. But the Spirit gives life, capital S. And that is from uh, the last part of uh, verse 6 of chapter 3 now. Then he goes on, nothing new here, but uh, he contrasts the old covenant with the new. Uh, he talks about the old covenant as the ministry of death carved in letters on stone. He's talking about, hey, if you just, uh, if you only ascribe to following the law, number one, you're going to fall short because we all do. That's uh, part of the human condition. The law doesn't save you. It just uh, points out uh, where you where you need work, okay? But the Holy Spirit can change you and uh, can point you towards God. And he reminds uh, his listeners, many of whom were Jewish, uh, before they converted to Christianity, of course, that Moses, it is said, you know, in, in Exodus, could not look upon the face of, of God, um, Exodus chapter 34 specifically, verse 29 through 35. You know, Moses came down with the, with the Ten Commandments, um, he couldn't look, uh, the Israel, excuse me, the Israelites could not look intently at the face of Moses because of its glory that was going to fade. But in his argument, he says, uh, um, verse 13, Moses put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not look intently um, at his face because of, uh, you know, the way that it was glowing and everything. Um but he says, uh, to this day, in verse 15, to this day, in fact, whenever Moses is read, in other words, the first five books of the Old Testament and the law, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You know, you can, you can approach God now because of what Christ has done for you. And uh, he emphasizes that, um, you know, the, the powers, all of the powers of the ministry are from God and not from Paul as an individual or from other preachers. So we ourselves, we want to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of following a preacher who may preach a different gospel than that of, uh, of, of God. All right. Um, and then he reminds us at the end of chapter four that, um, verse 18, we look not to what is seen, in other words, this world, but to what is unseen, in other words, to the, the future world. For what is seen is transitory and what is unseen is eternal. So you might want to underline verse 18 of chapter four when thinking about what your priorities on this earth might be, right? Here's a doctrinal statement in chapter 5. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive recompense according to what he did in the body, whether good or evil. So I want you to underline 
all of verse 10, circle the word judgment. Yes, there will be judgment. And circle the word did, uh, you know, in the sentence, according to what he did in the body. So our actions do make a difference, right, in our eternal relationship with God. And of course, he's talking to believers here, isn't he? So um, he encourages us in verse 15. He says, he indeed died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So we don't live for ourselves, we live for Christ. And in verse 17, he says, So whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So when we begin to walk with Christ, some of the things that mattered before, perhaps the partying you may have done as a younger person, or maybe even the partying that you're doing now, will seem at best trivial and at worst what it really is. Uh, sinful, and we will desire the things of God and not just the, the pleasures of the flesh, etc. So you want to be a new creation. Uh, you're turning over a new leaf, if you will, and living for him instead of just for your own selfish things on this earth, which Paul reminds us, those things, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And all this is from God, I'm reading from verse 18, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So we get a fresh fresh start, right? We get to start over with our new relationship with Christ. And um, so that's chapter 5. And on to chapter six, where a, he, he gives us a nuance on something he told us before in the earlier letters. He says, do not be yoked with those who are different, but in other words, do not be yoked with uh, unbelievers. For what partnership or righteousness and law do, what partnership do righteousness and lawlessness have? So that would apply to a marriage situation. You know, don't marry somebody who believes differently than you, who might drag you down, okay, for for example, in your own faith. For that matter, don't go into business with someone who does not live by Christian principles. Um, so the, the list of possibilities for um, going in, being yoked with unbelievers is fairly endless, right? Uh, friends, business partners, etc. We want to be with people who will build us up and point us towards Christ, and we can do the same for them. So that's all the time we have for today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for Paul's witness. We know that he was not always well received, even within the churches that he founded by all the members. And yet he kept his eyes on the prize and knew that his job was to tell others about you. 
We ask that you give us the strength to do similarly and power through uh, so that we can point others towards you. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.